Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I've just been, come back from London, and London is nice, and it was warm, but it's full of people from the south. And so <laughs> it's just nice to be here again. I'm joking. We love southerners, obviously. Um, Welcome to Trinity Church, especially if it is your, your first time here with us this morning, uh, or if, if you're the first time watching online, it's really good to have you here. Uh, as Pete's already said, we're going to be wrapping up our series in Mark, and I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, it's been so good just slowly working through the book of Mark, and I think the plan is at some point we're going to come back to it. It might be a little while down the road, but uh, we'll be returning. But yeah, it's great that we get to wrap this book up uh, well, this teaching series together this morning. In 2018, um, at the uh, National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast, uh, there was none other than a well-known speaker and pastor and theologian, Tim Keller, gave the keynote address. He should be on the screen behind me. And he stood up and said at the breakfast in front of all these politicians, it was Theresa May's uh, government at the time, And Tim Keller stood up and said, what can Christianity offer our society in the 21st century? It's a good question. And you know, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you're a Christian, you'll know that the answer, you probably want to go, well, the hope of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, you know, unending joy, Jesus himself. That's what Christianity can offer to a 21st century society. But if you're not a Christian, or maybe if uh, you can think of someone you know who's not a Christian, how do you think that person would answer? You know, my hunch is that a lot of our non-Christian friends, people who don't yet know Jesus, honestly probably wouldn't really know how to answer the question, what can Christianity offer our society today? And let's be honest, you can't blame them really. The national statistic of people who uh, would say they, they go to gospel preaching churches would be somewhere around 2%. You know, there's lots of people who do not know Jesus. And that would suggest to us that the overwhelming majority of people in our lives don't have a Christian friend, uh, haven't ever been invited to church, have no idea what the message of the gospel is. You know, a few years ago, I was a part of a little team. We went out to the city center in Manchester with surveys and getting into just asking people questions, finding out what do the people of Manchester believe. One of the questions was, what is it you think Christians believe? I think it's a really good question. You should ask your non-Christian mates that. What do you think Christians believe? Most people, the most common answer was, "Um, don't really know. Fair enough. Uh, A few people said things like being kind, being nice. You're doing generous things. But the thing that stood out most was the fact that no one, no one, the whole day we did this, no one even said the name Jesus. Not one person. You know, how can you possibly begin to answer the question, what do you think Christianity offers our society, if you don't even understand who it is who's at the heart of Christianity, that it is about Christ himself? You know, Trinity Church... We've got a real challenge ahead of us, haven't we? We're at a point in history where most people in our city don't see any value, don't see any worth in being a Christian. It's not necessarily that they hate the church. They just don't see the value in being a person who goes to church. And so I think this morning, we just need to take a step back and ask ourselves, why? 
Why is that? Why do so many of our friends think like that? Why do so many people see no worth in following Jesus today? Because it's a good question, because this obviously hasn't always been the case in the West anyway. You know, you don't have to even go too far back in the history books until you start to see the profound impact that Christians, that the church had, the message of the gospel had on society around us. You know, just think slavery. Let's talk about slavery. Throughout history, Christians, time and time, you know, in fact, if if you go to the history books, the first ever record of somebody protesting the institution of slavery is way before William Wilberforce, way before that, back in 370, uh, Gregory, who was the Bishop of Nyssa, he was all about uh, talking about the image of God, that people are made in the image of God. And he is recorded as saying, uh, as the first person who publicly wrote and spoke against this abhorrent industry that every ancient culture bought into called slavery. Or, uh, there's a guy called David Bentley Hart. Some of you might know that name. He's a well-known scholar. And he argues that the idea of universal benevolence, the idea that the West, our society, has bought into, that whoever you are, uh, wherever you're from, you, you deserve help, like you should have human rights. Uh, David Hart argues that if you explore the roots of it, that all of it has started with the church, that the idea of universal benevolence began with Christians. And the list just goes on and on and on and on as you go through the history books. Throughout history, you'll see Christians have fought for women's rights. It's Christians who have fought for the welfare of children. It's Christians who have fought. Christians have been on the front foot of these issues. And so throughout history, if we were to go to people in history and say, what can Christianity offer your society back in the day? They'd give you a whole list of social justice things that the church was engaged with, and not just engaged with, but actually leading. The point is this. Once upon a time, many people in society, including our society here in Manchester, could see the benefit of Christianity. They could see its worth to some degree. But today, why is it so many people would struggle to answer that question? Well, I think it is at least in part because we have forgotten the art of living like Jesus is worth it. We are slow to live like Jesus is worth it. And this is our big idea today. We're going to be talking about living like Jesus is worth it. You know, we we live in a culture, and I think you'll agree with me, we live in a culture of self-assurance, don't we? You know, we love to tell our kids, you can do it. You go be you. Don't let anyone get in your way. You know, you write your own story. You're the master of your own destiny. You be you. Go for it. You, 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 you. That's kind of the narrative of our day. You know, we live in a culture of self-assurance. And if you don't believe me, honestly, just go watch a Disney movie. Having two little girls. I I love Disney. We watch lots of Disney but sometimes their messages are trash, right? <laughs> you know, Nemo, come on, man. You should have listened to your dad. Your dad was right when he said, you can't swim out past the drop-off point. And Nemo was like, yes, I can. What happens is dad nearly gets eaten by a shark. 
You know? And still, the message is, you be you. You, you, you. Go for it. Whoever you are this morning, I think we can agree that the self-assurance, that the self-promotion message of our current day actually sounds pretty good, right? You know, why should you let anyone stop you from you being you, you doing what you want to do, from becoming or doing what you want? The message of self-assurance is pretty easy to sell, I think. And I think for a lot of us, to one degree or another, we've actually bought into it, including in here, in the church. You know, one of my jobs here at Trinity is to oversee our worship, our music ministries. And so I'm always trying to keep my ear to the ground for new songs that have been written uh, for the church to sing. And, you know, whilst there are some amazing singer-songwriters out there, like super talented people, it's kind of alarming how often a new song will come out and the song is actually kind of about me. Well, not me. It's not like people in America are singing about Malk. I mean, the song is like about self, you know? That's, that's the heart of the song. You know, I was going to quote some lyrics at this point of some modern songs, but I don't want to in case they're your favorite song, you know? Uh, but this idea of self-assurance has kind of snuck into the life of the church, into, into my life as well, where we are quite quick to sometimes just, we put ourselves subtly at the center instead of Jesus. And so just think of this. When we, when the church is struggling to sing songs about the worth of knowing Jesus, we shouldn't even be a bit surprised when society around us doesn't see the value in following Jesus. If we make church about ourselves, if I make church about me, that's not going to win anyone to Christ. But then we come today to these words of Jesus, and it is totally countercultural. It's, it's totally radical. What does Jesus say to self-assurers? You know, how does Jesus say that we are to show his worth to the world? It's there in front of you, and it'll be on the screen. Verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple... That is, whoever wants to show the world they belong to me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus calls self-assurers to become self-deniers. See the worthiness of Christ. Then Jesus says we need to start by taking up our cross. Because whilst salvation, whilst be becoming a Christian, re receiving the, the forgiveness of sins, you know, the, the payment for sin has been dealt with, whilst coming to Jesus is a gift from God through the Son that we receive only by faith, whilst that has been given to us, not of our, our own merit, but by the work that Christ has done, still, though, there is a cost in following Jesus. And this is our first point. We're going to talk about the cost of following Jesus. Trinity Church, if we want the people of North Manchester to see the worthiness of Christ, we have to be ready to follow him in becoming like him. And not just when, but especially when it costs us. Uh, Pete's already said it. It's summertime. I love the summertime. Uh, who was I just talking to? 
It was Emmanuel. It's Emmanuel. He's up there. I was like, man, I love this weather. Emmanuel's from southern India, right? Yeah. And Emmanuel's like, oh, it's too hot. <laughs> too much. Of it. I, I, I love this sunny weather. We get it so, so uh, rarely. Uh, you know, if you're going to be complaining on Tuesday when it's 37 degrees, just don't put on social media. Just let the rest of us enjoy it, okay? Uh, I love the summer. Barbecue, beach trips. We had a picnic outside in our garden last night. Uh, one of the things I love about summer is when summer comes around, you get to go to outdoor gigs. You know, you don't have to all be crammed in a little sweaty venue. You can actually stand and enjoy it. And Judy and I recently relived our teenage emo years when we went to go see a band called My Chemical Romance. Why are you laughing? They're a good band, Dan. Um, we went to see My Chemical Romance a few weeks ago, and it was awesome. Uh, it was in Warrington at Victoria Park, which I'd never been there before. And um, so Google Maps near car park. Then we ca- when we came out of the multi-story car park, it was just like, as we turned the corner, there was just a sea of like black T-shirts, bright red hair, piercings, tattoos. I was like, oh, I, don't think, I don't even need the phone anymore. Uh, we know where we're going. Because the fans of My Chemical Romance, of which I am one, uh, perfectly were modeling who they were following. Do you know what I mean? Just came out and didn't, didn't even have to guess twice when they like My Chemical Romance. It's a white kid with hair over his eye. He's a, he's a fan of My Chemical Romance. Um, so here's the question. They were perfectly modeling who they're following. How different could our society be if we could just be better at modeling who we are following, church? And I find it so interesting what it is that Jesus majors on for his people to hear when it comes to what it should look like to model Christ, what, it, what we should be looking like what it, for what it means to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus' words here, the words we just read, are arguably the, the high point in the Gospel of Mark. So we've just hit one high point last week when Pete was preaching in the previous verses, in verses 31 to 33, and that's where Peter, the disciple, for the first time ever, confesses Jesus as the Messiah. But we know as only, it's really only a half confession, right? Because literally just moments after, if you were here last week, you'll remember, moments after confessing Jesus as the Messiah, Peter immediately, verse 32, rebukes Peter. Uh, sorry, rebu- rebukes Jesus, sorry. You know, as soon as Jesus starts explaining that he is, Peter gets mad. Do you see that in verse 33, if you've got your Bible open in front of you? Peter thought he was going to be following a Messiah who was coming to overthrow Rome, who was coming to rebuild the temple, who was coming to restore Israel. Peter, in his mind, totally thought he was going to be following a Messiah of earthly power, not someone who was going to come and suffer and die. Like us, Peter quite likes the idea of self-assurance. But Jesus says, if you truly want to follow me, be prepared to follow me even to the cross of the world. Be prepared to suffer. Just think how shocking this was in, in one sense, reading about it comes to church. We know about crucifixion because of history. They knew about it from experience. You know, we're talking about people who had seen criminals and traitors, maybe sometimes even on a, a daily basis, doing that humiliating walk of carrying their own crosses to the place where they would be nailed to that cross. 
often naked, ashamed, alone. And Jesus is saying to people who have seen that, the image he is, he is using to show what it looks like to model himself is, you need to be like that. Those people you see who are walking to the place of crucifixion. I don't really like that as a Christian when I read that. I, I don't like to suffer. I don't like the idea of being shamed. You know, if you're like me, I much prefer comfort. I much prefer self-glory. So how do we begin to follow Jesus like this in the way of the cross? Well, he tells us, verse 34, he says, deny yourself. Now, again, this doesn't sound good, and it doesn't even seem to make much sense initially. How can you deny yourself? Because Jesus doesn't say deny yourself something like, oh, I'm going to be good. I'm on my diet. I'm going to deny myself chocolate. Or I'm trying to save the pennies. I'll deny myself that takeaway. He says, deny you. <laughs> deny yourself. This really only makes sense, I think, when we get a bit of a grasp on what it means to be a Christian. When we start to understand what it means for us to follow Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 4 should be behind me. It talks about the old self and the new self. This idea of two selves. So I just find that so helpful for us to understand because it helps us make sense of ourselves. It helps us to make sense of why we can, on a Sunday, be so glad to be a, a, a Christian, be so glad to be with brothers and sisters, to be like, I'm, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. And before the end of today, you've, you've screwed up again. You've, you've rebelled in one way or another. How can we go from obedience to disobedience so quickly well, this is the answer, because there is a part of you that still wants self-glory. Or to use another Bible phrase, the flesh, your fallen nature. And yet, if you're a Christian, there's this other part of you that wants nothing more than to see Christ glorified. Where you are willing to, to suffer even for Christ. And that's the new self. The, the new you who, who is now battling sin in order to walk by the Spirit. And Jesus here is saying to the new you, deny the old you. Shut him up. Shut her up. Squash that voice inside you that continually is wanting to make you the center of the universe. And instead, listen to the voice of the Spirit who is helping you. The old you. It's costly, but as we do that, as we walk in the Spirit in that way, we declare the supreme worth of knowing Christ. And I just love this. You see that? Jesus doesn't just say, okay, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, full stop. He then gives us reasons why we should do this. This is our second point. It's the cost, and now here's the catalyst. Reasons to encourage us, to inspire us, as to keep following Jesus even when we're suffering. You know, I think one of the reasons we struggle to live like Jesus is because, honestly, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself, because we often forget how good it actually is to follow Jesus. We forget his benefits. It's a bit like um, when I lived in New York. Uh, 
If you've been to York, you'll know it's, it is the most beautiful city in the world, right? Uh, some nods. Good. I appreciate that. Um, I lived in the city centre of York for a while. And if you've been to York, you'll know there's the enormous cathedral, York Minster, right there in the middle. Beautiful building. Like People travel from all around the world to come take a picture of it. And when I lived next to it, I used to, uh, I would walk past it literally every day. And it just became a normal thing, right? Just, just see every day. I almost sometimes wouldn't even look at it. I'd be more interested in looking at my phone. And then I moved to Salford. <laughs> and it gave me a fresh perspective on York Minster. You know? Well, here in verses 35 to 37, Jesus is giving his followers fresh and clear perspective on how good it is to follow him. You know, if we're guilty of walking past Jesus daily, like I was walking past that, that, that minster, Jesus here, verse 35, he says, Remember this, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Now, here's the thing. Surely everyone wants to save their life, right? So what does Jesus mean here? I think in other words, he's saying, if you prioritize yourself and become dull to me, if you make the old self the king of your life, if you're all about your own comfort, your reputation, your glory, you, 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 then ultimately you are going to lose your life. And this is the warning of the gospel. If you don't want Jesus in this life, then you will get what you want in the next life. You'll have a whole eternity without Jesus. And that's what verse 38 is about. You know, if we're too busy chasing after approval and glory from the world, Jesus, which Jesus calls an adulterous and sinful generation, adulterous in the sense of being unfaithful to their true love, Jesus himself. If you're too busy chasing after that kind of glory from that voice, then we're going to miss out on the greater glory, the glory of being with God himself forever for eternity. And instead, we'll be given what we want, an eternity without Christ, an eternity in hell. You know, that's why Jesus has just used such strong language against Peter in verse 33 when he calls him Satan. You know, when Peter rebuked Jesus, Peter was quite literally speaking the language of hell itself. You know, often the language of hell, we might think of horror movies and, you know, terrifying voices. Often the language of hell is, is actually sounds quite good. It's quite appealing. Normally, that, that language, that temptation really appeals to our old selves. You know, did God really say you have to deny yourself to this degree? Did God really say you have to be uncomfortable to follow Jesus? Did God really say you, you shouldn't put yourself at the center of things? You know, the language of hell often puts self at the center. And from there, it causes unbelief to rise up inside us. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, I quoted her before, but unashamedly want to quote her again because she's a great writer. She said this. Uh, she's a hip-hop artist, poet, speaker. She said, unbelief, just like Satan will beckon us to skip self-denial 
at all costs with the faux promises of comfort that can't extend beyond the grave. The Bible gives us clear perspective. There is nothing, there is no one in this world that is worth giving up your soul for. Jesus says in verse 36, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You know, what good is it if a person gains all the comfort they want, all the self-glory they want in this life, if the payment at the end is to forfeit their soul? You know, we could paraphrase Jesus here. He's saying, you can't buy a soul out of hell. But Jesus, our creator, our king, he knows how much a person is worth. Going back to uh, Gregory of Nyssa, the the guy I quoted at the beginning, um, he said to the slave traders of the, the 300s, he said, it should be behind me. For what price, tell me, what did you find in existence worth as much as this human nature? For Jesus Christ, who knows the worth of human nature, has said an entire cosmos is not worthy to be exchanged for a human soul. Just think on that a moment. You know, while we are so slow, while we struggle to see the worth of Christ, where we don't think it's just not worth it to look a bit stupid at work and try and talk about Jesus. It's just not worth having that awkward encounter with my neighbor to try and invite them to church. Jesus isn't really worth it. While we feel that deep in our bones at times, Christ looks at his people, he looks at us, and he says, not even the whole universe can match the worth of your soul. Not because of our greatness, but because of his. Not because of what we have done, but because of who has made us. Because all of us are made in the image of God. We're made to know God when made to be known by God. And so church, when we're struggling to count the cost of following Christ, allow this truth to catalyze your walk with him, to spur you on in the, the, the footsteps ahead. Because Jesus, who is full of grace, who is full of mercy, who is full of love towards his people, he considers you a sinner, weak, broken, disheartened, uh, unfaithful. He considers you worthy of going to the cross to save your soul. And so that leads us to ask the question, and we'll wrap things up. What are you going to do with the call to follow Jesus like this? You know, look at verse 34 there. He says, Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Don't miss this. Jesus calls the crowd to him. You know, Jesus' disciples have just declared him as the Messiah just moments before this. And the first thing that Jesus does is to call a crowd of lost people to come around him. And he says, who 
ever wants to be my disciples. Here are his disciples. He's saying to the lost crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple, anyone, there is not one person in the whole world who cannot follow Jesus if they come to him and recognize his worth. You know, no matter what a person has done, no matter how far a person has wandered, no matter uh, how rebellious a person has lived, no matter how much they have loved the things in this world to this point, Jesus says, whoever, whoever, do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that for your non-Christian friend? Jesus says, whoever, follow me. Christians are simply imperfect people, sometimes very imperfect people, who have come to know that Jesus is better, that his worth, that his glory is supreme above all else, that ultimately, if everything was taken from us, even our very lives, if we have Jesus, we have everything we need. You know, and Christians are people who are slowly learning to deny ourselves, aren't we? I don't think any of us have cracked this one perfectly yet. To quote one Philippians, uh, it is Jesus who's begun a good work in us, and he will see it through to completion. But there's still plenty of work to be done. And I think there's work in my own heart, work in our church needs to be done in learning to deny ourselves to the degree where it's going to cost us. And Jesus is calling each of us to deny, deny ourselves like that and to follow him. Trinity if we want to declare the worthiness of Christ, let's just make less of ourselves and much more of him. Let me just wrap up with this story. It was about 150 years ago, uh, missionaries from uh, the West went to a region in, in India known as Assam. And uh, there, as, as a result of their trip there and taking the gospel there, a man and his family became followers of Jesus. Never heard the gospel before gave their lives to Christ. Colonists actually faced real threat for following Jesus. But despite the threats, this man and his family daily decided to pick up their cross and to follow Jesus. And as they did that, what do you think happened? More and more people start to follow Jesus because they could see the worth of knowing Jesus. More people became Christians. However, it's, it's written... In the books that one day the village leaders summoned the entire village, the man and his family, before him. And they commanded the man, the leader commanded the man to uh, renounce Christ. And the man famously said in that moment, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Under the threat of his wife being murdered, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And she was slaughtered. Moved to his children, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And his children were murdered in front of him. Finally, he came to his own life, I have decided to follow Jesus. And he was murdered on the spot. That story reached the ears of the missionaries. And those words of that man are the reason, are the source of the song we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. In the 1950s, 
that it was added to uh, one of the main hymn books that the church used. That day, in that village, people saw the worth of following Jesus. And it looked like denying self and glorifying Christ. Trinity Church, if only we could learn to live like Jesus is worth it to that degree. Let's pray that God would help us to get there. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to rescue us. Lord, we know what it is to to be weak and to want to promote ourselves over glorifying you. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness where we've done that as individuals and as a church. And Jesus, we pray by your spirit, please would you help us today in the week ahead to better deny ourselves, to pick up our crosses and to follow you. And Lord, as we do that, we, we know we will have a greater joy in you. And Father, we pray that more people would see the worth of Jesus Christ himself. We pray these things in your name. Amen.